yoga itself is not just a physical activity, which I think is the notion that a lot of people have in times now. But it's a lot more to that. It's about connecting your physical essence with your mind. Hi, and welcome to today's episode. We are going to be in conversation with Sadna Upadhyaya, and Sadna is a dear friend of mine. She's also a yoga teacher. I've known Sadna since I first arrived in Singapore almost nine years ago, and we both worked in the corporate hospitality world together. And since then, it's very interesting that me and Sadna have basically taken parallel sort of spiritual paths from the corporate world into wellness and well-being practices and businesses as well. So a little bit about Sadna and her background. Sadna had, you know, some trials and tribulations growing up in her childhood and particularly around teenagehood. There were some episodes there that led her to spend a year in India back with her family back in India. And it was during that time in India where she learned, you know, mantra chanting and prayers and rituals that basically allowed her to recover from some of those difficult experiences in her childhood. And it started sowing the seeds of yoga and the spiritual path for her going forward. Sadhana then spent her energies growing in her hospitality career. And, you know, as a guest services associate, as well as a trainer, which is what she actually eventually loved doing. And she knew she wanted to take training, you know, the training aspect of her career further, but she just wasn't sure if career and hospitality was sort of what she really wanted to grow that business of training or that that skill set of training. So she was doing really well in corporate hospitality, you know, doing really great as a trainer and moving up in, you know, ranks of the hospitality industry. But somewhere her motivation and her energy started to like get exhausted. And in 2016, Sadna had a turning point and that's when she hopped on a plane and basically went to an ashram in Rishikesh. And she does talk about it in this episode of how she sort of found yoga, I guess you could say. It was after a period of where she had six months to herself. She knew she didn't want to be in hospitality anymore per se, but she didn't really know where else she wanted to go, but she wanted to learn something. So yeah, it was in 2016 that she basically came across this program and she jumped on a plane and headed to this ashram in Rishikesh in India. And all she had was an open mind and an open heart and was in search of something, a search of a next path, perhaps of that kind. So, and you know, now a number of years later that we're sitting in 2020, she is a yoga teacher. And that basically was a life-changing experience that led her to this journey of becoming a yoga teacher and a yoga practitioner, as well as a mindfulness and meditation practitioner herself. And she's also delving into, you know, things like nutrition going forward as well. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sadna, where we sort of talk about the basics of what yoga is and what is yoga to her? What is her definition of yoga? And, you know, can anyone just do yoga? What are the different types of yoga? I'm pretty sure everyone's sort of like thrown all these terms of hatha, ashtanga, yin, etc. So she sort of breaks it down and demystifies yoga a little bit and gives us some insight on how we can do some basic postures at home to 
relieve any tension or stretch out those muscles in our body. But really, you know, using yoga as a tool to bring a union between our mind and our body. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sadhna Upadhyaya from sadhanas.com. Hi, Sadhna. Welcome to Shift to Shiva. Thank you so much for joining us and coming on here to tell us all about yoga today. I was wondering if you could just start with telling a little bit about how you found yoga or perhaps how yoga found you. And had you ever, you know, attended a yoga class before and you just took to it like fish to water or was it much, something much later that developed? Hi, Shubra. Firstly, thank you for inviting me on this platform to chat with you. How it all started for me was... Well, in a very strange way, it was more when I needed a direction in my life, but it came very unexpectedly, though yoga has been a part of my life all along. My family's been practicing it and my ancestors have been as well, but I wasn't very drawn to it. It wasn't something that I enjoyed doing, though I would have participated maybe a few times as I was growing up. And it was only in my early 30s, I would say, as I was about to hit 30, I needed some direction in life or clarity and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in terms of growth in career. And I wanted to take some time off and I came across this uh, scholarship in India with yoga. And I applied for it and I went for the training for a month and it pretty much changed everything in my life. When I went for the training initially, the intention wasn't to be a yoga instructor. I wasn't planning to teach. It was more so for myself to understand what it was all about. And when I went for the training, I actually got a lot more out of it than yoga just being a physical form of activity. Yoga itself is not just a physical activity, which I think is the notion that a lot of people have in times now. But it's a lot more to that. It's about connecting your physical essence with your mind. You know, you're bringing your attention inward towards you, focusing on your breathing. And yoga, basically, they call it an asana in Sanskrit, which is postures. It is basically the beginning to mindfulness. And for a lot of people, and I'll just touch a bit on meditation here because this is related. Meditation is not possible immediately. It can be very challenging for some people. And yoga is the first step, which is the asanas. Postures are the first step towards cultivating that mind to be centered before you move further into deep meditation. And so the physical aspect of it is more on bringing your concentration, so your mind being connected with your physical body when you're staying in a posture as you breathe in and out. You're staying in that posture for a few seconds, but completely focusing on just being present at that point so that you don't fall out of it or you don't lose your balance. And that is basically another way of being mindful about what you're doing at that moment. Yoga itself is a way of living instead of it being called a form of exercise. Right, because I mean, most people think of it like just a lot of movement and therefore it's just exercise, but it's so much more than that. It, As you said, it sort of helps, starts the centering process in order to then go into probably deeper meditation. Because I would imagine that if there are niggling things happening in your body, it's even harder to center, right? Your mind. Yes. Pain here, you saw some discomfort. Yeah. Body's kind of not really sitting center. And therefore, it's obviously if that's going to go on, your mind is basically just going to go to all of those things. And hence. Exactly. Yes. 
So then can you tell us about the different types of yoga? Because obviously there's so many versions to it, right? People like there's always this like, oh, sign up for this Hatha class or Vinyasa class or Ashtanga class or Yin class. I find that really interesting. I mean, there are so many names for yoga right now, like, you know, hot yoga, Vinyasa yoga, Yin yoga. And there are many other strange names that I've come across and I always get curious and I'll be like, oh, wait, so what do you do in that yoga, you know? It's interesting. So yoga, basically, Hatha is the main form of yoga. And in the foundation level itself, there's stretches that's called the Pawan Muktasana series, which is the wind relieving poses. And this is for you to prepare as you start doing yoga postures. There are three parts to it. So the first part works with stretching and releasing energy blocks, you know, and that would be maybe rotations of your wrist, ankle rotation. The second part focuses on your abdominal muscles, your digestive system. So a lot of the poses are related to that. And it can be strenuous. It's a lot more of like leg lifts and, you know, postures like that. And then the third part of it is, again, releasing energy blocks, which becomes a bit more intensive. But these are suitable for people of all ages. Okay. And you may look at it and think it's very simple and basic and it's not really a form of workout. But you will be surprised with the profound effect it has on you physically and mentally. You know, and especially when your breathing is synchronized with the movements, you'll feel a very, very big difference. When I started doing it initially, and this is my own personal experience, it really bored me because, you know, you sit there and then you got to focus on this movement. But eventually when your breathing is synchronized with each of those movements and you just stay there, you breathe in and breathe out, your focus is not anywhere else, but in those movements in your body area at that point of time. Yeah, You notice such a huge difference and I would literally start sweating and I'm not even done anything else, just moving my body. And these are parts of our body that we probably don't use as often. Some of these postures are similar to warm-up postures that you would find at yoga studios or fitness areas. They all do all these stretches and these are the basic foundations. Mm. So in Hatha Yoga, there initially, and this was, you know, centuries back, there were like 8,400,000 poses, right? And it's actually written by Saraswati Satyananda, who was the writer of the Asana Pranayama Mudra Bandha. And this is a book basically that is used by everyone who is learning yoga all around the world. Its publication is from the Yoga School of Bihar. So anyway, 8,400,000 postures. And out of this 8,400,000 postures, it was reduced down to an amount of 84 postures, which commonly used in today's time. Right. And these postures were obtained and you will see that some postures have animal names. And so this came about when the sages back in those times, they were, you know, in the mountains and meditating and they've dedicated their life to just doing that. And for them as human to be living in such a different condition would have been hard. So what they started doing was they started observing how these animals live in these areas, you know, in the mountains, how do they survive, you know, and they start watching. And so say, for example, a lizard pose or a frog or a cow and all that. So every posture itself works for different parts of your body. Right. And it allows you to be much more flexible 
Again, you bring your attention to breathing. So it really has a profound effect, not just physically, but mentally as well. Mm, okay. With practice, it may be challenging for some people. Some people are very flexible in certain areas and some people are, you know, maybe not as flexible in certain poses. But again, this all depends and you're able to actually know that, okay, so my legs are probably not as flexible, but hey, I can do this. So my hands are actually quite flexible and, you know, so you kind of start noticing your physical movement and understand how your body works. So it's really, really about, you know, just communicating with yourself with the movement of the body. And finding the balance between internally with your, with your, yes. So then Hatha being the foundation, where does like Vinyasa and Ashtanga and Yin play into this? Vinyasa itself is basically a flow, right? It's not actually a name for anything, but it's basically a flow of movement. And that is what we call a Vinyasa. So for example, if you hear someone who's doing maybe a Vinyasa yoga or a Vinyasa flow, that basically means it's going to be constant movement of different sequences, you know, but it will still be yoga but it's just going to be moving at a quicker pace. And with yin yoga, the postures from yin yoga come out of hatha as well, right? Yin yoga is supposed to offer you relaxation. And so there are postures that would have you relax. There are postures that would activate your endocrine system. There are postures that's going to be working for different parts of your body. And so for yin yoga as well, there are postures that's suitable for it. So, for example, a butterfly pose, you know, you have the pigeon pose. And these are postures that's used commonly in yin yoga because it wants you to be relaxing those parts of your bodies. Mm. Um, They're basically hip openers. And so it induces relaxation. Again, every yoga beat, any activity and whichever names that has been given to it, The whole emphasis is always on synchronizing your breathing with your movement. Quite important to do that, right? It can't just be like, oh, just breathe anyhow. Yeah, so it is really important because, for example, if you were doing, say, for example, a camel pose, you know, in a camel pose, you're required to tilt your head to the back. So you're bending backwards. So you're working on your back here. So you're supposed to inhale. But for example, if you do an exhalation in a camel pose, you're going to end up injuring yourself because when you're getting into that pose, your muscles are supposed to be active because it's helping you get into the posture. And if you're exhaling, you're completely relaxing the muscles. And so that's not going to help you stay in the posture. So it's really important to know when you should inhale and exhale. Mm. Another thing that I would highlight would be, so vinyasa again is a flow of movements and with every yoga, everyone does it with a sequence, you know. And it's really important that, for example, if you have a one hour class, you want to come up feeling relaxed, completely balanced and centered as you step out of the class. Mm. So it's really important that there's a balance of every posture that you do. So if you're doing a back bend, you want to make sure you're doing a forward fold as well to counterbalance the pose. Otherwise... You know, you do a back bend and you don't counterbalance it. Your back is left in a strain and you did not relieve, you know, because it's been doing work for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's really important to know what kind of sequence you're doing. But at the end of it, you want to make sure that whoever's doing the class or walking out of the class is completely centered and grounded as they walk out. And this is where Savasana plays a very, very big role, which a lot of people don't actually give a lot of importance to it. Savasana, which is where people lay down and everyone's favorite, basically, I guess, majority, right? But Savasana itself is a posture. 
It's called the Dead Cops Pose. And the reason why Savasana is important for you to be in that posture towards the end for the last few minutes is so that whatever you've done from the beginning towards the end of it, just before Savasana, you're able to integrate all of that into your body. You know, you want to allow yourself to be relaxed. You want to allow your breathing to return back to how it was before you started the activity. So you walk out feeling grounded. You don't want to walk out of a class. You just did a headstand or a handstand or an inversion. And, you know, you don't counterbalance by, you know, allowing your blood circulation to return to normal. And you don't do Savasana. You walk out. You're going to walk out feeling really dizzy and unbalanced. So Savasana is uh, one of the most important postures that every yoga class ends with. Mm. And the benefits that you get out of it is really, really important. Ashtanga, Ashta means eight, right? So what's Ashtanga? So Ashtanga is created by Sri Patapi Joyce. Um, he created this movement. And Ashtanga is basically a system. There's a sequence that follows. So the first few parts would be standing postures. Then you go into sitting postures. Then there'll be twisting. And then you have forward folds, backward bends. And then you have inversions. Your inversions would be either a shoulder stand or a head stand. And it's called the eight limbs of yoga. And again, even in Ashtanga, so Ashtanga is a bit more dynamic than a Hatha or any other yoga, but very similar to a Vinyasa because it's constant movement again. You can go fast or you can go slow. Your focus is going to be on your breathing and your gaze in Ashtanga. Mm. Ashtanga is basically eight limbs of yoga. Mm. So basically in Ashtanga itself, towards the ending, again, you end it with Savasana. You know, you want to make sure being so dynamic, you fall forward, you look forward, you, you know, go into downward dog, upward dog. So your energy is constantly moving while you're moving in Ashtanga, right? So you're constantly moving your energy up and down. So as you end the class, you want to make sure you end it with Savasana to make sure that you bring everything back down, grounded, you know, before stepping out of the room or a studio, or wherever you are. Right. So if someone is completely a novice, like has never stepped into a yoga class, always been very interested, are there some basic postures that they can already do? Or do you recommend that they do it with under the guidance of a teacher the first time that they do any type of yoga? Okay. So it really depends on what they're looking for. I would say yoga is for anyone. Again, depending on health conditions that you have prior, it's always good to mention it to whoever that you're going to or whichever studio that you're going to. Because if you have specific health conditions, there are certain postures that you won't be able to do. So it is for anyone. But if you're really serious about it as a practice, I would suggest you go to known or someone who is qualified as a yoga teacher or an instructor to guide you along. It's good to just have that knowledge because sometimes uh, though we don't have the understanding and we can look at a video or go to a class and do it, but you start getting the depth and the understanding of yoga when someone is guiding you through it. Mm. Otherwise, you know, you just look at it as a form of physical activity and that's it. And that's also fine. It really depends on what someone would be looking at. You know, I mean, yoga for a lot of people, they enjoy it, though they may not know the many deep layers to it they enjoy it because it allows them to relax you know but at the same time if you get to have that extra added knowledge of knowing what it actually does to you physically and mentally and how you should be in a posture then you gain more out of it 
you know, it helps you along the way. So maybe we a little bit about that then in terms of like, it seems like a lot of friends who get into yoga is that as soon as some good friends get into yoga, they're all doing handstands. Why are people doing handstands all the time? What is it good for to do? What is the point, purpose of inversions? I mean, I understand we stand erect. And so if you're yeah. going to do you want to do it flipped over. But what is, for example, what is the health benefit of doing an inversion type of posture or pose? So inversion is really good for blood circulation to your entire body and especially to your brain. And yes, I agree. There's a lot of craze about going upside down. And to be honest, when I first started, I had the biggest fear of going upside down. I wanted to do it so badly, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. So there's a lot of fear in it. So the good thing about it is it takes practice to get upside down, you know. With kids, you tell them they will happily jump and fall back, you know, because for them, they don't have to worry about anything. But then as adults, as we start growing up, you know, we come across or we experience different, different situations in life. There are so many things that we go through. And I'm talking about this in a very spiritual or mental aspect. There are a lot of things that we go through, which stays in the layers of our body. And this affects us physically as well. Right. So with inversions, one way is to actually work with your fears. Mm -hmm. So I can do a headstand now or a forearm stand. But even to do a headstand, it took me two years to you know, be able to do it properly. I could have done it supported with someone supporting me and, you know, I just go. But then I didn't really understand what was happening, what was working. But then now, because I practice it myself and I worked my way towards it, I actually understand how my body should be, how it works for me. And it's actually very invigorating right. when you're upside down. You know, firstly, because there's a whole flow of circulation of blood going through your entire body. Mm. You know, so you're getting oxygen in every part of your body. So when you come out of it, it's really invigorating and you feel really fresh. Right. But it's also important at the same time that you don't immediately come out of it and start walking and getting to do your things. You want to make sure that you are grounding and centering yourself back to how you were before, right? Mm. So after an inversion, I always suggest to go into child pose or lay down in Savasana just to bring that breathing back to a regular momentum before you start going with your day-to-day. -day. Yes, people are really crazy about handstands or inversions. I do love them as well personally because my experience from it is very different. It kind of allowed me to embrace life in a very different way, you know, sort of passing over that bridge of falling over, you know. And I've fallen a few times and it doesn't matter to me now, you know, because I'm so used to it. So it sort of takes practice to get to it. So there's a lot of fear in us as humans. When we do practices like this, it kind of also helps you to overcome that fear in a very different way right yeah okay so invigorating sort of sensations and overcoming fears with inversions what other issues does like besides relaxation and things like this where you can you know face your fears or, yeah. or sort of deal with energy blocks of fears or anxiety and also to build up energy what other benefits are there with the different postures or like why you know what do sitting postures do what do standing postures do what do lying down based postures too so firstly every posture that you do will definitely have a very positive effect on your body physically again this depends if you are a healthy person or not so if you're someone who has regular back pain or who you know probably has hand injuries or shoulder injuries you want to give time to your body to heal before you start 
you know, working on those muscles. Mm. Or if you have a back pain, there are really good poses for yoga that you can do to kind of allow you to induce that pain and make you feel better. And over a period of time, you allow that pain to actually subside or completely go away and you actually won't have it in your body. Standing postures is always about grounding yourself first, rooting your feet down towards the ground before you move. And they work a lot with your leg muscles, you know, so different parts of it, your glutes, your hamstrings, your calf muscles, even your feet, your back, your hips. So it works on that. Sitting postures, again, it works on your hips areas. It also depends on how your spine is placed and it's always erect. So you're working on your back as well over there. Laying down postures, again, you're making sure that your upper body is also in sync with your lower body. So everything's sort of like a mind connection movement so every posture that you do is gonna physically affect you in a good manner provided that you do it the right way and not overstrain it so the idea of getting into a posture or being able to do a posture so a lot of times people for example a very simple forward fold they're unable to touch the ground and it's okay you know so if you can't touch your hands down to the mat or to your feet it could probably be because you have a very tight hamstring or your lower back is quite tight, you know, you need to work on lengthening your spine. So they're all interconnected. So I cannot just place them into one place saying, oh, okay, this just works for this. Yeah. They're all interconnected. So maybe, for example, in order for me to do a split, right, it's not just my hamstrings that I need to work on. I need to work on my hamstrings. I need to work on my hips. I need to work on my quads, you know. And these are all different, different poses. I also need to work on my posture, my upper body, how I should be in a split. So, you know, there are different areas that we need to work on. And so our entire body has to be working together and not individually. They are all interconnected. Mm. So every posture requires us to be working on certain areas. And then when we get into a certain posture, that means we worked on other parts of it as well. Okay, you want to make sure that your body is aligned properly instead of, you know, getting into the posture in the wrong manner. Because then if you do that, then you're going to end up injuring yourself in the wrong way. Yeah. So it teaches you a lot to be patient with yourself as well and, you know, give your body the time to open up, you know, to release and to embrace whatever postures that you're doing. Is there time to do yoga in the day, for example, for people? So the best time, I would say, to do anything, this includes meditation and yoga, would be in the morning when you first wake up because your mind is completely clear of anything. You know, the day is not started. So all your system in the body is all at rest. They're not functioning yet. So that's the best time to do it. And if you do want to do it during the day, yes, please do so. But just make sure your stomach is not full. Okay. You want to make sure that your food is digested at least two to three hours before you do any such activities because otherwise if you're moving in the posture, you're going to feel like throwing up, you know, because your stomach's full. So it's not actually aiding you with the physical activity. Mm. A nice time to also do it would be just before sunrise in the evening. And again, same thing. You want to make sure your food is digested before you get into the activity, allowing yourself to retire for the day before you end everything. So at sunrise or at sunset, it's sort of like the good times to do, to do it. Yeah. And in terms of if someone was looking, what type of series do you offer that people could do if they are 
completely new and fresh off the boat type of thing with yoga? Well, so I have the Poen Muktasana series available on my website for people to use and it's a pre-recorded video that, and all three parts of it is in that video. I also offer personal classes. So I do, do a lot of personal classes and really it really depends. So I cater my classes according to what the client needs from me and what their health conditions are. So vinyasa flow is something I practice, hatha is something I practice. And I focus a lot on sun salutations because it works really well for our entire body. Mm. And are there any don'ts besides, for example, you know, like can kids do it at what age? Can elderly people do it? Are there any restrictions on people who can or cannot do the series? For example, the Baba Muktasana. The Baba Muktasana series works for everyone, especially the first part, which is very basic. It's more on rotations of your ankle, your wrist, and just stretching neck rotations. It's really good for someone even who's been advice against any vigorous activity for someone who is in bed or bedridden they can also do it right yeah the second part to it which focus a lot on the digestive system it's really important because it can be very strenuous as well because all the postures are done laying down so you're using a lot of your leg movements mm. you know so you're engaging your core a lot so i wouldn't recommend it for someone who would probably be pregnant that isn't something i would recommend and someone who probably has high blood pressure is not recommended and there may be other conditions again depends on what their doctors advise them and the third part to it basically is good for everyone and anyone so basically the number first part and the third part it, i mean even the second part is but it really depends because for someone who has a back problem even right because in the second part it's a lot of laying down the entire 20 minutes is spent just doing it laying down so if someone has a back problem you're using your core a lot it's gonna hurt your lower back so they can still do it but maybe use sort of a cushion or a blanket underneath just to support the back right. yeah okay. it again depends on each person's physical ability to do something you know whether they are active enough basic postures which can be done by a lot of people it just takes practice hmm. okay and then finally what is the shift that you want to create with you know with your craft with your work that you're doing what's the shift that you want to create in the world or for your clients well, I think for me, it's just really to be aware of what you're doing. And that also means that with every physical movement, you're staying in a posture, you're focused. It's just really being aware. And when I do my classes, it's really focused a lot on breathing with every movement. So I think awareness is the first thing that I focus on. And as you get into every posture, you want to make sure that you are in a space where you are comfortable and relaxed and not where you might end up injuring yourself. And for me, it's a way of living. So it's important to see how you feel at the end of it with every practice you do. And these practices is something that you incorporate in your day-to-day -day life. So, you know, again, mindfulness is part of it as well. And how you live your life really depends on how, you know, you go through with your practice. Hmm. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that information and valuable. Thank you. Also join Sadna. We'll be providing information in the show notes below. So be sure to check out all the work that she does and get in touch for all your yoga needs and wellness needs. Thank you, Sadna. Yes, thank you. Thank you.